Hello, and welcome to Be an Instructional Design Rockstar with Blair Stamper. Today's podcast episode is with Alexander Salas. Alexander is an award-winning instructional designer, and he has his own podcast. He has a very unique background that he brings to the perspective of instructional design. And what I mean by that is he actually has 15 years experience in the field, but prior to that, he was actually a United States Navy combat veteran. And so it's really cool to hear about how that experience has now been translated into his career as an instructional designer. He gives back to the community a ton through his articles, workshops, conferences, and hosting the Style Learn Origins podcast. I highly suggest reaching out to him on LinkedIn. He posts some really awesome things to help encourage other instructional designers and encourage others to get into the field. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Let's get started. Well, Alexander, thank you so much for hopping on to the podcast. I'm super excited to just learn more all about what you do. I I know I've, I've been following you on LinkedIn for a while, so I'm excited to just dive into getting to know you. Um, so I always start with the age-old interview question of, tell me a little bit about yourself. <laughs> Which is funny that you mentioned that because it's not really a question, it's a prompt. No, I usually do that because of the, uh, when I help people do job interviews and stuff, it's like, look, they're going to tell you this. This is what you have to say. <laughs> so... <laughs> But we're here together. So first of all, let me thank you for being here. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and kind of get to meet you. I, we're not just connected on LinkedIn and whatnot. So, and congratulations on your recent achievement, uh, Doctor Stamper. So, very great stuff. So, thank who you. Am I and why do I do? Well, I'm a U.S. Navy veteran. I started in the Navy. I was born in Venezuela. If we go way back. That's going to be way too many years for this podcast episode. But I served in the U.S. Navy for six years, and I was attached to Marine Corps units. Then I had a, a natural talent to develop folks, and the rest is history. Got a degree, got a couple of degrees, certifications, and then I've been pretty active on LinkedIn for the last 10 years. I started as a learning facilitator, do instructional design, pretty much hopped around in all the titles. I think I answered already four questions there, but it's okay. <laughs> you did, and that's okay, because we'll just go into more detail. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned getting some certificates. So what is your academic or scholarly background? Yes, so um, I'm the honorary recipient of the Associates of Arts that took me five years to complete. Uh, based on the fact that I didn't have, uh, I didn't, you know, I, I was coming from another country, so I didn't have a notion of the culture. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. I can take courses and keep taking courses. And then like, hey, uh, my advisor was like, hey, do you know you just got to take this class and you're out of here? And I was like, oh, okay. I was taking languages and stuff like that. That's what, I guess that's why I speak Portuguese and, you know, half in English and Spanish. Uh, besides that, I have a master's in training and development. Master's of Education, Training and Development, and then a Master's in Leadership. So two Masters, uh, a second degree is really rewarding, a lot of vision and stuff in there. I was once certified as a CPTD by ATD. I just let it go just uh, this last year. And uh, I'm a CDT Plus, uh, Certified Technical Trainer, 
besides that, I got some other techie certifications, um, A plus and other things. So I was very interested in the intersection of technology and what we do. So that's yeah, that's been the extent so far. I, I'm also Scrum master, but you know that's that's just fun. I love it, and I think. The fact that you took all these different classes is like the perfect ID, like instructional design start. Cause I feel like that's what we do, right? We try to learn as much as we can whenever we can. Yeah. 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 I, I, I definitely, I, I agree with that. And I, and then I also grown myself, I've grown critical of that. Like we have to be careful too, because, you know, um, it's just, sometimes it's just learning for learning and not really doing anything with it. And then it becomes a, you know, a, you start you start looking like a hoarder, you know, with all the all the completion certificates. I completed this, I completed that. I was like, what can you do? <laughs> That's my question. So That's was, a great point. I was checking myself with that. I was like, yeah, okay, great. You you got this, but what can you do? And so that's that's what keeps me honest. Absolutely. Yeah. All those badges out there are awesome, but it's like, can you apply what you exactly. learned? Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. Um so you spoke to this a little bit already, but what are some of the things that you did before becoming an instructional designer? Things that I did before instructional design. Well, the interesting thing is that I was developing personnel in the Navy. So I, I rose to the level of supervisor and then I was teaching people, you know, some of the important things. So my direct reports, I was teaching them um, how to promote, obviously. That's like an important thing. And part of that, it was taking the Navy qualification exam uh, or the rate of the rank exam. So uh, I had a natural sort of, I guess, I guess because of my people can't see me, but I have a big forehead. So <laughs> I have a strong cortex and recall. <laughs> so <laughs> getting to a little bit of neuroscience today. So, yes, it was. Um, it, it that became sort of like the addiction, you know. Uh, I think it was like ninety percent of the people that I helped promote it, and that was like a really rewarding thing, and actually became something that uh, gave me credit. So I that kind of set the spark, and then I became um, I found out that okay, there was something you could do, which be you know I was in medical, so health educator. Hmm, how great that is. That could be the thing. I started taking a health education bachelor's and um, and then I hit the adult learning uh, theory of the piece because there's a lot of behavioral change that you have to work with uh, health education. The strategies in health education are interesting, right? The, you, you Everybody tries the fear strategy, like don't smoke, you'll die, right? But we know that that doesn't work all the time. So that... Um, it got me interested in that. I was like, okay, so there's actually a field on this, and and like good military folks, you know, start looking for regulations and stuff. Ran into the Department of Labor, and that led me into ATD. And so when I found ATD, I was like, oh, okay, this is actually a job. You could be a trainer. And at the time, there wasn't really a lot of talk. This is 2007. There wasn't a lot of talk about instructional design. No instructional designer jobs really posted. A lot of those were kind of masked with uh, training specialists. So, yeah. 
I love your background. It's such a unique perspective that you're bringing to being able to kind of empower and inspire, you know, people to start moving through the ranks and then taking those soft skills and taking those skills to now applying to, you know, instructional design and learning design. I think that that's a really powerful perspective that you bring. Well, thank you. Appreciate mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, you kind of spoke to this a little bit too. So, um, but what are, how, so using those soft skills that you did use to like inspire people, how do you use those to, in your current field and doing what you do today? Like, what are some of the things that you, the skills that you use from previous careers? Oh, yes. Uh, so, well, that's always, you know, that's a learning process. I think uh, no one, I mean, some people do have some natural tendencies or natural, let's say, inclinations to be more um, empathetic naturally or, you know, compassionate and whatnot. And, and you know, when you look at it from a psychological perspective, sometimes uh, we have to be careful sometimes that it's more of a of a egocentric behavior. So it's almost like, you know, you're, you think you're helping people, but you're really what you're doing is appeasing the, uh, the need that you have to help people. Uh, so, and, and in the end, well, it doesn't really, I mean, to me, it doesn't really matter if you're helping somebody, you're helping somebody, right? So, so if it is because you're doing it for yourself or, I mean, not intentionally, but incidentally, then that's, that's just, that's okay. That's good collateral, as they say, right? But, um, in my perspective is um, I use it when I deal with, you know, I've, I've been learning through the years. So, you know, I made mistakes early on, obviously um, the adaptation from the military to civilian life. Uh, it's different. Um, the good thing about the military is the military makes you, it really, it, it's something that private industry should do more, which is, um, guide people to be more independent, you know, to not rely so much on other people in terms of, I mean, we got teams and we, you know, when you work with teams, it's like, uh, you know, live or die, right? If I make a mistake, I can, it could be your death type of thing. Obviously, that's not what happens when you work in a private company. But the idea of not running to someone right away because you ran into a problem, the idea of researching that problem, right? Or finding, trying to troubleshoot the problem yourself. And then if you got issues, then reach out and help somebody else. So today I use it, that lesson or that powerful skill has been a key in my success. And then the rest is dealing with Smiths and, you know, and, and managing the relationships up and down the organization. I love that you bring that up because sometimes I feel like as IDs, we're very um, critical thinkers. We are constantly problem solving. And sometimes I look at myself and sometimes see that as a negative because I'm not the type of person to go out and like automatically go ask other people for help. I'm going to go research it first and then I'm going to ask, you know what I mean? And so I love that you bring it up as a positive trait. So I, I personally appreciate that. If you've been, just to add, right? Like if you've been to that path, I look at it as, a, you know, imagine a huge forest and there's a bunch of paths in there and nobody knows which one goes where. And you took the one you know, on the right. And so now somebody goes, hey, how do we go to? Well, I know this path right here. Right. So and the more you do that, then the more resourceful you become. Yeah. I love that. That's a great analogy. Thank you. 
I appreciate it. <laughs> um, so what would you say is your greatest success so far in the field? Hmm. Well, there are a few. I mean, I, I won an award and stuff like that a few years ago. That was cool. Um, <laughs> I love it. I just won an award. Innovated. And, yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, <laughs> awards are like, you know, the industry, we can have that cover. That should be another episode. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to stay nice on this one. <laughs> so, um, no, what I'll say is, yeah, I wouldn't have worn that was great. Uh, I think because, uh, you know, it's validation of the work you're doing and how you present it. Uh, I've done a bunch of things already that I think have been all great and cool and cumulative. But I, in, in the end, for me, I think it's more about every organization I work with has done well. And I like to think that I, I was part of that contribution. Right. Maybe it's. Maybe it's a little bit too far-fetched, but I just find it to be that case. And then the rest of it is that the last three years, I've been helping people, uh, coaching them and stuff like that, and, and mentoring in some cases. And uh, and those folks have done great. So you know they're taking a few courses with me, doing different things, and then they end up getting hired. And, and, and really... Uh, the biggest thing is that I, I have people, I have some people start their career making like 40% more whatever I started my career at. So that to me, it was like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. That is very cool. That's awesome. And I agree. And even if it's the, the com not community, but like the institution or whoever you're working, you are a part of that. So that that's a very cool feeling. Yeah. Um, what would you say is your greatest challenge then? Challenge in what perspective? You think professionally or personally, or do I give you both? Good question. <laughs> um, professionally in the field. Yes. I mean, professionally in the field type of challenge. I, I think um, I've never been a corporate ladder type of person. So... Although I, you know, I had a, a, a trained director position for six months, and then I got laid off. So that was the the wake up call from life. It was like, hey, you thought you you thought you had it, huh? <laughs> you don't. It was like, oh snap. So that was an interesting story because I had to drop. You know, I my salary went up fifty percent when I did that, and I and I got into the six figure realm. And then myself, and then I had to go back fifty percent. So, you know, that's a that's a that's a bitter pill to swallow. You have to really develop a lot of character, and it wasn't easy. But uh, you know, we're here. So it actually that event sort of propelled or sparked that the 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 person the person that I am today in terms of people that you like you that know me on LinkedIn because I wasn't on LinkedIn all the time and I wasn't sharing content or anything like that. I, you know, I, I kind of caught on at that time and the best time to do that is when you're unemployed, you know, and uh, you're motivated. So biggest challenge is uh, scaling out on what I'm doing. Um, my, my main goal is just to help as many people as I can in terms of, learning the right things because unfortunately with democratization we have the great things which is like anybody can add content 
But because of that reason, a lot of people are way misguided or misinformed. So then that creates more problems for someone that, let's say, is aspiring to get into the field or whatever. They learn the wrong things or or the wrong angles. So, yeah. And I love that niche you've created because it then now, like, it's almost like coming full circle of when you were in the Navy and you were helping those people move up. It's almost like you're doing that same thing now, except in a different, in a different um, space. It is true. true. Yeah. You're completely right. I mean, the main thing, you know, best thing I did was serve in the Navy. I didn't see it at the time when I was in the Navy. And I think a lot of armed forces folks go through the same. Um, it's after that you realize, oh, Wow, that was, you know, that was something. And then um, the other part is that you have to, it's after you get out of the military, it's just, a, it's a service. It's, a, it's like being a teacher, you know? I consider this, when, when we were growing up, I don't know, in your case, because, you know, you're younger than I am, <laughs> but <laughs> by a lot. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is um, my, um, as I was growing up, you remember those coloring books back in the day, and you had, well, I don't know if you've seen them, but probably you've seen them too. I don't know what coloring books you got, but mine <laughs> had the, had the um, you know, the cop and the firefighter. And uh, so those are service positions, right? It's a, it's a service to society. And teachers fall into that and, and educators fall into that. So there's, um, I think that's lost in some, in some respect because of the pressures that we have in society, but it's, it's a thing of beauty. So when you get out of the military, same thing, you just, you still need that, that fight, that service. What can you do to contribute in one way or another? So, yeah. Absolutely. And I think you've done a really nice job of kind of translating those skills that you developed now into a career, um, which is really, it's, Honestly, very powerful. So that congratulations on that. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so this question was actually not on the list, but I'm curious because you had mentioned that you had kind of moved up the corporate ladder, got that position, was laid off, and now it seems that you're kind of going not in that direction. Um, and the only reason I ask is that I was I'm very similar. I went up the corporate ladder and realized that that's not what I want to do. Um, I'd rather, you know be of service and be an instructional designer, as they say, bottom of the totem pole, which I don't agree with, but <laughs> I just kind of would, would like to hear kind of your thoughts on that of, um, do you plan on going, moving up to the corporate ladder? Is that just not something that you see anymore? You know, that it's an interesting thing on that, Blair. Um, it's, um, there are different challenges, right? And so I think the, the, not being part of the corporate ladder is a freedom choice. It gives you a little flexibility and freedom. And uh, and unfortunately, you know, it has to be said that there are realities out there that uh, one may encounter. So, for example, I, you know, I got the master's in education. A master's in education to be an instructional designer or to be a learning professional is not really the best degree to hit. Now, I didn't know that until I'm telling you now what it is, right? And the only reason being is because I went back in retrospect and checked many things. And there are, and you know, education is a business in this world today. And there are many degrees that are not even 
touching the surface of what you know what needs to happen. So it's a challenge. So it's a it's a challenge there. And one of the challenges is, you know, I was I come with a graduate degree. Yeah, I learn about, you know, adult learning theory and Gagne and Knowles and this and that. But that's why I started this new podcast. I don't know if you've seen it, Style Origins, free plug. <laughs> and uh and and it's basically looking at those things because I started I think that the best the best part of um learning is the ability to challenge your beliefs and what you think you learn. And so in terms of corporate ladder and stuff like that, it's a different challenge. If you want to go lead people, that's a different challenge than and being an instructional designer, you wanna you want to create. And so it's a tough choice to make. You stop creating, you help others create. But you stop creating. So it's a trade-off. I agree. Yep. That was one of when I was moving up, that was the advice was basically like, you're gonna stop doing those, I would say fun things. You're gonna be more so building other people up to be able to do that. Yep. Right. right. Um, so what do you wish you knew before you got into the field? Hmm. Well, it, it was a different time when I got into the field, but talking in current time, you don't need a degree to be an instructional designer today. Instructional designer has been mixed with another position, which is a learning developer. So you have to have both of those qualities, unless you're working for a very specialized unit that is separating. If you think of Addy, let's say they separate the this five stages uh, for each team or something. But in most cases, the most common job today in corporate is being a video editor, producer, visual graphic design, wizard, e-learning developer, web design sort of connoisseur, right? And those are just the, the techie digital media stuff. Working with audio, adjusting audio. And so then from there, and then you have to compare, and then you have to throw in the rest of it, which is the process, the systemic process of design. So today's a different world because you can learn from many, many, many different outlets. But I think the best advice that I can tell people is that learning and development in the workplace is not the same as the industry groups. So the industry groups sometimes to me feel like, and I've been in that part, I've been part of the industry group. It's just people that really want to have fun because they're having a horrible time at work. <laughs> so let's talk about gamification. Let's talk about this. You know why? Because I can't do it at work. I'm only doing PowerPoint conversions and click here and click there. You know, So <laughs> you can tell I've been around it. <laughs> right. <laughs> That was some great advice. I think um, I agree. I think there's sometimes a misconception that we um, have to have like the perfect degree in order to be the ID. And um, I think that there's, it's been proven. I don't think we do. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no degree really. I mean, 
maybe today is better that they might be a couple of schools out there that are doing something interesting. Um, if I can think of one, maybe it will be uh, uh, Carl Kopp because he's a professor at uh, Bloomsburg, Indiana or something like that. So I think that's what it is. And um, so maybe that's interesting because he's part of the industry group. So he's probably introducing some of those aspects in there. But yeah, in a program, you need someone that has worked the job. So I think an ideal program would be someone that has your caliber or my caliber in terms of experience. So you can actually get something that's valuable because most people are just learning all these theories that you can just read out of, out of blogs. You can go to my blog and read all the theories that you need to learn. And why are you going to school and paying $40,000 a year to do that? Yeah. So. Yep. And it goes back to exactly what you said earlier is you have to be able to apply it. So all the theories are great, but people are looking for those portfolios or how are you actually building things or can you do the audio adjustments? Can you do the video editing? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Um, and then because I like stealing what everybody else is reading, um, are you currently reading anything right now? Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> well, because of the podcast that I was doing, I found some interesting literature that um, has not been um, has not been sort of cited in the regular things that you see. So it's an interesting thing, right? Because when we talk about instructional designers, you always hear the same familiar names, right? So it's like Gagne and Magger. In some cases, some people are like, Magger, who's that? And I was like, oh, wow, we got problems. But like, you know, Gagne, Magger, the usual names. And then the current folks that are contemporary, right? Like Guy Wallace or some of the folks out there talking about performance or whatever the case. But um, I found this gap that I, I feel is a gap because the literature doesn't pull to it and there was this book called that is free because it's part of the public domain now. and it's called the uh the instructor uh the man in the job and it was actually a book that if you take time to read it it breaks down everything you need to know in terms of setting up a training program in a corporation and the corporation was the emergency fleet corporation and this supported our efforts in World War One, because that's the other part, right? When people talk about where did social design come from, World War Two, I was like, no, that's not. That's where that's that's. I was telling you about the whole learning thing and challenging things. So <laughs> that's where my challenge came through. Because I was like, wait a minute. So if we started World War Two, that's like 1945. You're telling me that we didn't know what to do before that, and that's what that's what led to that. So I read that book, and then. Um, my uh, boss today, because I work at a company, my boss got me this book. It's awesome. It's, uh, I need to keep reading it. It's called How Minds Change by Davey, David McRaney, I think it's called. And that seems to be a very interesting one because it's analyzing the reasons why we actually would change our behavior. I mean, I, I got some idea of that, which I know is primarily emotional, hmm. chemical, and then logic. But um, but yeah, I'm finding some good little diamonds in there. Yeah, that sounds like perfect books for just learning design, especially building um, 
courses and corporations, programs, that kind of thing. That's awesome. Awesome. Um, well, Alexander, this was an awesome conversation. I love getting to know you and your background, which I think, like I said, it's very unique perspective that you're bringing um, to the field. And I love following you on LinkedIn and seeing all of, and now your podcast and your videos and all the trainings and stuff. So thank you so much for hopping on. Oh, no, I really appreciate this, uh, Blair. And thank you so much for your time and the opportunity to talk to you. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I think a really big key takeaway that I had during this interview is how much instructional designers actually do. Yes, we do our main job of instructional design, but we are so much more than that. We're project managers, we're editing and creating graphics, we're editing and creating videos, all of these different skills that we apply to the instructional design field. I actually created a reel very recently on my Instagram that kind of correlates with what we were talking about in this particular interview. So thank you so much for listening and I will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to Be an Instructional Design Rockstar with Blair Stamper. I hope you enjoyed getting to hear someone else's perspective in the online learning field. Hopefully their stories were enough to inspire you and show you that you're not alone as you're going through the process of creating a course, teaching a course, or even just learning as a student in an online course. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time.